Hello, I'm Kevin, VK6 Lima Whiskey, and welcome to Amateur Radio Topics, episode number seven. And in this episode, we will talk a little bit more about the remodeling of the spider beam and some of the results we had in the Baru Commonwealth contest a couple of weeks ago. So, just onto the spider beam, um, I decided a little while ago to remodel this using. Easy NEC and remodel it using standard 2mm diameter enamel copper wire. Now the original dimensions for the spider beam use a PVC plastic coated type wire which is a, a steel reinforced copper clad uh, cable. It's very strong, doesn't kink easily. It is stranded but as I mentioned before I've had a few problems with it with um, disruption from birds and parrots and this sort of thing uh, pecking at the PVC coating and the moisture gets in there and uh, very soon the um, it makes a bit of a mess of the, of the wire once the moisture starts um, to penetrate the PVC uh, cover. So by using a more standard copper enameled wire um, it does change the dimensions of the um, various elements. So on the spider beam, um, there's three elements on 20 meters, three active elements on 20 meters, three on 15, and four elements on 10. So I modeled this to scale and uh, came up with a different set of dimensions for the directors, the reflectors, and indeed the driven elements. So in this instance, the Driven elements are all fed from the same feed line. So they're all running off the same 50 ohm coax line. Now this is not particularly ideal, but it does work. It just means that on uh, one or two of the bands you can struggle sometimes to get uh, the best match. It doesn't really affect the antenna so much, but I was a little bit, um, a little bit time poor in the lead up to the Baru contest really struggling to try and get this antenna back up in the air and so rather than build another relay switching box at the top of the mast or rather than run three coaxes down all the way to the shack I decided to just to run the one coax with a very simple air cord ballon uh, at the feed point and then just feed all three driven elements off the same coax so all three driven elements are connected basically in parallel to uh, the coaxial feeder and pretty well just cut the elements to the dimensions that I modelled um, and just uh, I was banking on the fact I probably would have to trim up the driven elements slightly which in fact I did um, but the directors and the reflectors on the respective bands were cut just to the modelled uh, best performance. So during the contest I didn't get a great deal of chance to check out the front to back ratio, front to side ratio. It was mainly a question of just using the antenna. 10 meters was really completely dead. I worked one VK6 station, uh, had no other stations on 10 meters whatsoever despite numerous visits to the band and cajoling various other operators to try and join me on 10 meters for a sked and it just uh, just didn't happen. Uh, 15 wasn't too bad um, uh, but the um, 
Conditions were consistent with a fairly low sunspot number, fairly low flux number. Um, the A index was quite low, the K index was, was quite low as well, which is a good sign. But for whatever reason, the conditions just weren't that good. And 15 and 10 meters were, uh, well, 10 meters was non-existent. 15 meters was was sort of okay. Works quite a bit of DX on there. Uh, 20 meters wasn't too bad, but the standout star performers were 40 meters and 80 meters. Anyway, getting back to the spider beam, um, didn't get a great deal of chance to check out the characteristics because basically it was too busy trying to to run in the contest and it wasn't a great deal of time for experimentation. The antenna seemed to work okay, had a very good match on 15 meters around about 1.15 uh, 1 or 1.2 to 1. Uh, 20 meters uh, the match was um, under 2 to 1. 10 meters the match wasn't so good and this is probably where I need a little bit more adjustment uh, for that single um, single character line or revert back to a method I've used before which is the switch box at the top of the mast um, with some relays and single coax going into the switch box then the relay switch box selecting each driven element uh, as desired. However, um, didn't do that and um, didn't run the separate coax lines either. So 10 meters probably had the worst match but in, in, in the event <laughs> it made no difference because there was no propagation anyway. And in any event, the match wasn't so bad that it was going to really prevent me from making some QSOs on 10 if there had been some propagation. So um, wasn't really until after the contest had uh, finished that I got the opportunity to get on 15 and 20 metres and check out the uh, front to back and the front to side. And I actually did that this weekend in the Russian DX contest, which I wasn't really competing in seriously. I was just having a bit of a play around. And as luck would have it on uh, the Saturday evening, 15 metres uh, was particularly good. In fact, the band was still open to Europe at around about 11 o'clock here local time, around about 1500 Zulu, which is unusual um, for this stage of the sunspot cycle. And um, if you look at the, um, the solar numbers, didn't really make a great deal of sense. I think the uh, flux was around about 70. Um, there were zero sunspots, I believe, um, or maybe just a few, but it was it was pretty close to zero. And the A index was around about 12, and the K was around about 4. So not really all that encouraging, but for whatever reason, 15 metres had good European strength signals on there up until around about 1500 Zulu, and probably beyond. I, I packed in at that point because uh, the band was starting to go a little bit, but it was probably would have continued on for maybe another 30 minutes or so. So, um, going the opportunity to rotate the antenna and check out the front to side, the front to back ratio on 15 meters. And it was really, um, it was really pretty impressive. Probably better than the original spider beam that I had that was built with the original spider beam wire to their formula. So, I found that... Um, with the front to back, I had around about 20 to 25 dBs on most of the signals uh, to Europe. And the front to side was even more impressive. Um, uh, signals that were S7 or S8 on the front of the beam, on the side of the beam, were virtually eliminated. Um, you, you really couldn't, um, 
you couldn't tell whether there was a station there or not sometimes. So the front to side ratio was um, something that um, I've not been able to achieve before with the um, with the spider beam, and the front to back was very good as well. So that, that covered 15 meters, and I was pretty happy with that. Um, and then I did the checks also on 20 meters um, the next evening. 20 meters was quite good, and um, I had the similar sort of results. Um, Front to side on 20 probably wasn't quite as impressive as 15, but it was still very good, probably you know, in excess of, of 30, maybe 35 dBs on the front to side. And the front to back, once again, was around about 20 to 25 dBs. So we're quite happy with that. So the only band I haven't been able to test out really in in real-time band conditions is 10 meters. So um, there's four elements on 10. There's the driven element, reflector, and two directors spread out over the length of the spider beam uh, boom so i'm looking forward to testing that one but um not sure when we're going to get some 10 meter propagation we need some consistent sunspots and we need um we need to be able to get some signals um other than the ground wave signals to uh, check this out could check it out on a ground wave signal it's not the worst way to uh, test out an antenna um but i like to um see how the antenna is performing at normal uh, radiation um, angles and, and, and patterns for DX. It's, it's more far more of an indication for me about exactly what's happening. So um, I will report back on 10 meters when, um, when I get the chance. Uh, mechanically, the antenna seems pretty good. The slightly heavier wire with the two millimeter enameled version is making the antenna a little bit more solid. Uh, we did get some high winds um, just after the Baru contest, and the antenna seemed to stand up quite well. Um, I've used different insulators. I've used some polycarbonate clear insulators. I find polycarbonate's pretty good to make insulators. You can buy sheets of polycarbonate. You can cut it up quite easily, drill it. Um, it seems um, to be a pretty um, UV stable type product, which is important here in Perth, where we get lots of UV, for better or worse, and um, I've used the polycarbonate um, insulators throughout. I've actually used 10 millimeter thick polycarbonate, so quite heavy duty insulators. I did find that with um, the original spider beam insulators, the small grain insulators, had a few problems with those. Sometimes when running the linear, um, the insulators would tend to melt on the uh, driven elements, and it wasn't really so good. So once I replaced those with poly, polycarbonate insulators, things were a lot better. And um, you can use the polycarb for center insulators or whatever. It's um, really quite a, a useful product. Better than acrylic. If you use acrylic, certainly in um, Perth conditions, the acrylic will break down with the UV quite quickly. And the other problem with acrylic is when it gets hot, uh, if it gets hot um, for whatever reason, that it tends to... Um, to um, be a problem. Um, you know, it can, um, one way to cut acrylic is to use a, um, a hot wire and that this will slice through acrylic. So um, if you have, uh, <laughs> if you're running a linear and the wire's getting hot at the end, it's going to make short work of an acrylic um, type insulator. So stick to polycarbonate, it comes in all different colors. Uh, I've used black, white, clear, it doesn't really matter. 
and you can quite often get offcuts of this type of material from um, from various suppliers uh, quite cheaply and make your own insulators and center um, center insulators as well so yes the next thing will be um, trying to check out 10 meters I'll probably um, replace the single coaxial line as well I think I'm going to go with um, three separate coaxial feed lines for each band 2015 and 10 and bring those all back into the shack and switch them from the shack um, the switch box at the top of the mast or the tower works quite well but if you have a problem and it's um, 75 foot in the air 23 meters up or something then it is a problem because you've got to get the antenna down to fix it and the problem could be a relay that's maybe developed a, an issue or some moisture's got into the box or um, one of the connectors one of the, the PL259 or the N connectors associated with the box may have a problem there's a there's a whole host of things that can go wrong if you've got this switch box at the top of the tower and um, the alternative is to put the switch box at the bottom of the tower and then of course if there's a problem you can get to it quite easily so I could do that but I might just run the coaxial line straight back into the the shack I haven't got a huge run of coax to that particular antenna it's about um, 50 foot to the base of the tower and then of course the length of coax um, up to the um, up to the antenna so it's not a massive run I can bring them back in I can switch them in the shack got control over that then it's less to go wrong over the years I've sort of developed uh, different ways of, of uh, connecting up the antennas uh, I think I probably started off using connectors PL259s SO239 type connectors end connectors waterproof end connectors that sort of thing and these just obviously screw together and uh, make the system quite modular but if any of them have a problem as I mentioned then you've got an issue it's much better actually really just to, to um, hardwire and solder everything together on the antenna it's far less chance of something going wrong eliminates all the plugs and sockets and relays and whatever and um, and then there's less chance of you having a problem when you don't want it uh, for me um, that would be perhaps in the middle of a contest and this has happened to me before where an antenna has failed uh, in the middle of a, a contest and that's really quite frustrating so these days I tend to um, take the approach of well everything's going to be um, securely fastened soldered and um, taped whatever sealed to um, give me much less chance of some unforeseen um, happening uh, both the towers here I, I leave up all the time I don't tend to crank them down so the uh, I've got two towers here they're both up at around about 75 to 80 feet I've got extensions on the top of them for the LF antennas and um, their guide, uh, the crank up towers and their guide, um, they've got a, a hinge type um, base post so I can tilt the antenna over to work on it. But um, I tend to leave them up all the time, so I need something that's reasonably reliable. Um, it's not difficult to get them down, but once they're, they're up, it's um, particularly for the LF antennas, um, I need the height to, um, to make them work as they should. So at the moment I've got the spider beam up um, and possibly to replace some coaxial lines, put the additional lines in. I've still got the two element 40 meter beam up with the reversible um, um, two element arrangement. So 
uh, have a switch box there fairly low down on the tower I can get to it with just a ladder it's got a couple of relays in it and that switches um, the feed lines to the 40 meter um, uh, beam elements and it means I can instantly with the flick of a switch instantly reverse the uh, the beam pattern on 40 meters which is really quite useful and it's quite interesting to observe the difference between um, the two directions so uh, reasonable front to back on that nothing nothing extraordinary probably around about um, uh, maybe 15 dBs front to back on on that but obviously I'm getting some good gain um, it lowers the ang angle of radiation as well having the second element and uh, get a good match as well on 40 meters so that arrangements actually work quite well um, really simple switch box I can include some details of that on the show notes which will appear on uh, zigzagwest.com um, and on 80 meters now I've got a an inverted V dipole up above the 40 meter two element switch beam so the 80 meter dipoles at the top of that it's up around about 90 feet which is around about um, uh, I don't know, 25 meters something like that it's quite high and the, the end slope down um, at the moment I don't have a second element on 80 I used to have a, a two element beam on 80 um, but right at this point in time I don't have the, the parasitic element um, on the other tower so the two towers are around about 15 meters apart and they're aligned with um, Europe so they're, they're aligned in, in a northwest direction from here and um, at the moment yes haven't got the second parasitic element on the 80 meter antenna but that doesn't seem to be too much of a problem nothing for 160 at the moment probably not going to worry about that until now the next season maybe the next contest season CQ Worldwide coming up in end of November before I really need to worry about 160 meters again um, so WPX contest WPX CW contest coming up end of May and I probably will compete in that but the way the scoring is set up in that particular contest and the way the multipliers work in the contest there's one multiplier for all bands so it's not a multiplier per band so I found in that contest that um, you really just need a bit of a presence on the HF bands maybe 15 and 20 and then a lot of the QSOs are then made on 40 meters because WPX has an unusual scoring system whereby on the LF bands 40, 80 and 160 um, all the QSOs are worth double points so if you would make um, a contact outside of Australia or make a contact with another continent I should say uh, it's worth three points on 20 meters but on 40 meters it's actually worth six points so for that contest I really need a good setup on 40 meters and at the moment I've got that two element beam reversible on Europe short path long path um, and the long path to Europe also gives me a bit of South American and Caribbean coverage um, on the other tower I've got a 40 meter dipole which is broadside to uh, the US uh, for both the short and the long path but what I probably really need to do with that one is convert that to another two element switched beam as well firing a US short path US long path that'd give me a few more dBs gain probably you know, it gives me another maybe three to four dBs by adding that extra element on but more importantly the extra element um, lowers the uh, angle of radiation slightly as well 
uh, which also makes a, a big difference. So that's another project before the um, maybe the CQWPX contest at the end of May. Um, during the Baru contest, the IC7610 worked really well. Used it in a single operator, two VFO capability, so SO2V. So the IC7610 has got two um, independent receivers and it's got a, a dual watch facility whereby you can listen to both receivers, left and right ear, or you can switch to them both to the same ear, depends on what exactly is happening. But I tend to use it in a contest um, if I'm using both receivers, uh, left and right ears, um, works quite well. It's fully supported by uh, the N1MM software. It's quite a seamless um, arrangement. So with a few keyboard strokes, you can flick from one receiver to another. You can listen on one, transmit on another, vice versa. Um, it's not quite as good or as quite as versatile as single operator two radio, whereby with that method you can transmit on one radio transceiver and listen on another radio at the same time and then interleave the QSOs, um, which can take a little bit of practice, but it is, um, it is a way to increase uh, the score in a, in a given contest. Um, the SO2V is not quite as flexible because once you hit transmit on either one of the, um, either one of the frequencies you might be monitoring, it mutes the other receiver. But it's actually quite useful in the sense of monitoring the band activity. And if you do hear a multiplier, or you do hear somebody you need to work, or you're, or, you're, or simply the rate is slow and you'll decide to, to, to alternate CQs on each band, then um, it actually works quite well. And it's not, um, it's not quite as, as taxing as SO2R. So SO2R takes quite a bit of practice and also it um, uses up quite a bit of capacity in terms of concentration. So this is something that um, is still a work in progress for most people. There's obviously some operators that are very good at SO2R, uh, particularly on CW, and have the ability to concentrate all the way through a 48 hour contest. But that's, uh, that's very much a learnt skill and um, something that can continue to be developed. So I find the, the IC7610 is a, is a good certainly a, a, an excellent way to um, play with SO2V and of course then that can lead to SO2R but for SO2R you really need a completely independent station so another transceiver another linear another set of antennas and the receive antennas also play a part in this because uh, if I use SO2R I tend to use my receive antennas a little bit more um, which cuts down on the potential interstation interference and the SO2R um, receive side of it, you don't really want um, to have interference between the two radios. So the, from an engineering point of view, the whole thing becomes quite a lot more complex with SO2R, whereas SO2V, it's a much simpler transition from you know, the normal just single operator, uh, one radio type operation. So if, you've got the, if your transceiver's got the capabilities, I'd encourage you to have a look at SO2V. Um, obviously, my main interest is CW. And for me, it's probably in some ways easier for me to 
speak about the capabilities that this offers on CW than possibly what it does on sideband. But technically speaking, there's no reason why you can't implement these same processes and methods for sideband. So that's about it for this episode. Um, I really would like to talk a little bit more about receive antennas, but I might leave that to the next episode. Um, the receive antennas here mainly consist of beverage type antennas and um, a couple of uh, low dipoles, which are located away from the, the main transmit antennas. Um, but it's the beverage antennas that are probably the most interesting um, type of antenna that you can um, easily put up if you have some space. And even if you don't have space, there, there are things you can do to get around this. And certainly, uh, I would encourage you to have a look at receive antennas. And so this is something we'll discuss a little bit more in the next episode. Um, some of the characteristics, how to construct them, what you can get away with in terms of a receive antenna. Uh, it doesn't have to be in a, necessarily in a perfect straight line or or necessarily taking up acres of space. There are, there are things you can do to um, to help yourself on receive and it can make an enormous difference. Okay, well thanks for tuning in and um, if you have any questions at all you can send through your questions to hamradiotopics at gmail.com um, There will be some show notes appearing on uh, my website zigzagwest.com so you can take a look on there and um, until next time 73s from Kevin VK6 Lima Whiskey <laughs>